0: Father, we come now to your word, Lord, and we turn our eyes to your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our only hope in life and death. Father, we come here this morning to confess that we do not have the resources within ourselves to overcome the power of sin, to overcome the power of death, to overcome the power of the grave, but through faith, In the name of your Son, you have given us this free gift of salvation that we could never earn for ourselves. And so we stand here now and forevermore to worship the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, because he is our hope in life and death. Father, I ask, particularly this morning, your blessing over every father who's in this room. And Lord, I ask that you would equip us with the knowledge of your word. I ask that you would equip us with wisdom that we could raise up and shepherd and fellowship and disciple those who have been entrusted to our care. Lord, I ask that you would empower us and embolden us by the power of your Holy Spirit to be strong in a culture where loving fathers are so desperately needed. Lord, I pray comfort today over those for whom today is hard. I pray for those who have lost fathers. I pray for those who had absentee fathers. I pray for those who had harmful fathers. And I just pray this morning, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would grant peace and grace and comforts, and that you would help us to see that that is not who you are, that you're a good father, and you love us. You love your children, you'll never harm us, you'll never leave us, you'll never forsake us. And you have offered us salvation through the name of your Son Jesus Christ. So fathers, we open up this word this morning, we ask, will you edify your church and glorify your name? Sanctify us in the truth of your word because your word, is truth. We ask all these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everyone said, amen. 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 You can go ahead and have a seat. And uh, as you find your seats this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible. Psalm chapter 42 is where we're going to spend our time together this morning. If you're here today as our guest, my name's Taylor. I serve here across as lead pastor. And what we've been doing for these first few weeks of summer is we're taking a look at uh, different selections from the book of Psalms. The Psalms are the hymnal of the Bible. These are the songs and the prayers that have shaped the songs and the prayers for church uh, members and followers of Jesus in all generations, and so we've been turning our attention to the Psalms for these last few weeks in particular. So Psalm 42 is where we're going to be going together this morning. Outside of Scripture, the one author I've probably spent the most time reading and uh, spending time studying their words have been the writings of C.S. Lewis. Are there any C.S. Lewis fans in the room this morning? You are my people. Glad to have you here this morning. And uh, while he's known widely for a lot of his apologetic, philosophical works. Uh, most famous of those is probably Mere Christianity. Uh, C.S. Lewis is not just one of the most brilliant philosophical Christian minds, but just one of the most brilliant minds, period, uh, who lived throughout the 20th century and had just a unique way uh, of helping us see the truth of who God is, the truth of who Christ is, and the truth claims of Scripture through a very unique lens. But uh, maybe more famous than his philosophical and apologetic works have been his fictional works. So uh, how many of us kids in the room grew up reading the Chronicles of Narnia? Series, or you're at least familiar with what it is, and so uh, C.S. Lewis is maybe even more famous for the fictional works. And my fam- most uh, my favorite fictional work that C.S. Lewis produced was actually uh, the last fictional work that he produced called Till We Have Faces. And if you're not familiar with this book, basically it reworks and it retells the myth of Psyche and Cupid from the perspective of Psyche's sister Oriole. And this was the final novel that he wrote, and it really spans the full range of human emotion. So this novel spans a lot of themes like guilt and shame, grief and loss, envy and betrayal, life and death, and really the universal human desire for something greater than ourselves. And so there's this very dramatic scene where uh, Orwell goes to visit her sister Psyche, who's in prison, and is slated to be executed the next day. And it's, it's a really dramatic scene. And in this conversation, it's, she communicates to her sister that she really has no fear of death, that she sees death as being the beginning of something great and something new. And in the course of their conversation, she's recounting a time when they were walking through the hills. And she recounts the sights and the smells and the sounds. And she recounts the vision and the view of the big mountain that was off in the distance and how this view of the mountain made her uh, deeply within her soul just just cultivated this this deep craving and this longing for something greater than herself. And uh, this is my, my favorite line from the whole book. And I put this in your notes this morning. Orwell says to her sister, it was when I was happiest that I longed most. The sweetest thing in all my life has been the longing to reach the mountain, to find the place where all the beauty came from. Do you think it meant nothing? All the longing, the longing for home, for indeed, it now feels not like going, but like going back. It's just a really powerful statement because here she is on the eve of her death, slated to be executed the very next day, and she recounts how the greatest experience she had in life, even in this moment of severe persecution that she's about to experience, was this longing for something more. And this resonates with us because this is universal to the human experience. The book of Ecclesiastes says that eternity has been written on the heart of man. Every one of us has intrinsically within us this desire for something greater than ourselves. And Psalm 42, where we're going to be looking at this morning, is born out of a place of longing. The psalmist has an aching in his soul. He's troubled in his soul. He's desperate for the people of God and for the presence of God, but his circumstances have prevented him from being where it is he most wants to be. But what we're going to see through the words of the psalmist is that even this aching, even this pain, even the longing and the desire and the desperation that we feel for God, even when he feels absence, this feeling is instrumental in increasing our ultimate experience of joy. The longer we wait for something, the more desperate we are for something, the greater joy we experience when we finally attain it. If you don't believe me, watch Little Kids for about four weeks leading up to Christmas. We talked about this back at Christmas with our boys as we you know, have a few presents underneath the trees for a few weeks leading up to Christmas. And remember, you know, one morning in particular, our boys were sitting on the floor and they're, what do you think this is? What do you think this is? I think it's this. I think it's this. Our middle son, Nolan, had been asking for this airplane, I kid you not, for over 10 months last year. All year long. I mean, wait, he called it like back in the spring. He's like, that's what I want for Christmas. And he stuck with it all year long. And he pointed out the box that he thought it was. In the end, he thought that it was, it was right. And we just remember talking as parents. You're like, man, do you remember that feeling when you were a kid? How terrible that was? Like those three, four days leading up to Christmas. Like you are so close to the finish line, right? But then what's the experience when you finally get to open it? It's joy. And this is what we see through the words of the psalmist this morning even the aching, even the longing. In the moments where it feels like God is distant, where it feels like God is silent, when it feels like God is absent. This aching increases our experience of joy when we finally see him face to face. So Psalm 42, if you're following along uh, in your notes this morning, we're just going to see very simply through the words of the psalmist that the heart that is desperate for God is the heart that's going to find delight in God. Even the aching, even the hurt, even the longing, even the desperation for him in moments when he feels absent This is instrumental in increasing our experience of joy. So from Psalm 42, uh, let's start with verses 1 through 3. I'm going to set a little bit of context for what's going on here, and then we'll continue through. Psalm 42, it says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So Psalm 42 is born out of this desperate place of longing. Psalm 42 and 43 could actually be sung together as one single song of someone who's desperate to be in the presence of God and desperate to be with the people of God. And so this really just begins in this place of desperation. This is the sensory language that he uses as the deer pants for the water. He uses this sensory language of hunger and thirst, and then he attaches all of this language to uh, our—the physical language—to our spiritual impulses and desires. We, We wouldn't know what it means for our souls to be hungry and thirsty if we had not experienced the physical impulses of hunger and thirst. We've all experienced just that parched feeling on a, on a dry, hot day, which we have plenty of, there. not so much dry days here in the low country, but hot days where it feels like you're stepping into a sauna. You're, you're not out there long, and you feel like you could guzzle a gallon of water. We, we've experienced this, and this is the type of soul posture that the psalmist is communicating here. He says, as the deer pants for the water, my soul is desperate for God. My soul is longing for God. It's thirsting for God. And then he lays out his circumstances in verse 3. He says, my tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? So church, understand the context of this psalm this morning. This is a person who is seriously doubting the presence of God, who's wrestling with his faith, who feels that God is silent and that God is distant and that God is absent and as his tears stream down his face, it's like a chorus of critics who are crying out to him saying, where's your God now? He feels paralyzed by his circumstances. This is real, deep life pain, just like we looked at last week. This is the type of, not sure my marriage is going to make it pain. Not sure my kids are going to make it pain. Not sure our finances are going to make it pain. Not sure my health is going to make it pain. The cancer is back type of pain. This is the type of grief and sorrow out of which this psalm is born. And it causes for him this aching, this longing, this desperation for the power and the presence of God, and for the presence of God's people. So this is what he goes on to say in verse 4. This is what's going to sustain him in this season. He says, these things I remember. Everybody say, remember. These things I remember. This is what's going to carry him in this moment of desperation. As I pour out my soul. So, this is happening as he pours out his soul, as he pours out his heart in honesty and transparency before the Lord. These things I remember how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. So we see from Psalm 42, this is a desperate prayer born in desperate times. And we see first this morning that in desperate times, we need to remember the gathering. In desperate times, we remember the gathering. This is what's sustaining him. He says, these things I remember. I remember when I was leading the procession. I remember when we were singing together. And this is where he longs to be. It's in the presence of God with the people of God, singing the praises of God. And this is what's sustaining him in this moment. Uh, I'm just curious, how many of you grew up in uh, some sort of uh, background where you're familiar with the Westminster Catechism, Shorter Catechism? If that's you, show of hands this morning, a few of us in the room. And so the, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, very first question, just asks simply, what is the chief end of man? For what purpose, what reason was man designed? And the answer is pretty simple. The man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Bottom line, you and I were made to worship. We were created to worship. The, The question for you and I this morning isn't, do we worship? The question is, what do we worship? All of us worship something. There is something that is uppermost in all of our affections. And so we see that the antidote and the solution for his suffering and for his struggle in this moment is to worship. It's to remember the gathering of God's people when they were worshiping together. This is such a, a powerful picture for us this morning because you and I live in this very me-centered, self-centered, self-sustaining culture. And what worship calls us to do, church, is to get our eyes off of ourselves. It's to turn our eyes and to turn our attention and to turn our affection to the Lord. We were made to worship, but we need to understand today, God is perfectly self-sustaining, okay? God is perfectly self-sustaining. God does not need our worship and God doesn't uh, command our worship just because he's some sort of self-centered egomaniac. That is not why the Lord commands us to worship. God only commands us in his word to do what's going to lead to our joy. And so it's good and right and true that God command us to give him praise, that God command us to give him worship because he knows that in giving him praise, he knows that in giving him worship, we're going to have our experience of greatest joy. He's a good father who loves his children. He commands us to give him praise because it's in giving him praise we're going to experience joy. John Piper has said very, very well that God is the only being in the universe for whom self-exaltation is not an act of sin. God's the only one who gets away with this. He's the only one who gets away with putting himself above all others because if there was anyone who could go above him, he couldn't be God. And he knows that in calling us to give our praise and give our attention and give our affection and give our worship to him, this is what's going to lead to our joy. We are called to glorify him and to enjoy him forever. So God's not just after our begrudging submission. He's not just after us dragging ourselves in here on a Sunday morning and eking out some words to some songs. He intends for us to enjoy him. This is gonna blow some of your minds this morning. Did you know that you can be a follower of Jesus and be happy about it? You, you wonder sometimes, I mean, because some of those miserable people on the planet I know are people who are followers of, claim to be followers of Christ. No, God intends that you not just worship him, but you enjoy him, that you find satisfaction in him, that you find hope in him, that you find life in him. He only commands us to do what's going to lead to our greatest joy. So even what his word forbids, it's not because he wants you to be miserable. It's because he wants you to experience life and joy to the fullest, as he has intended. We're made to worship. On a couple of occasions, uh, the New Testament exhorts us not just to sing, but to really sing to and with one another. This is what we see in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. It says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And how is the word of Christ going to dwell in us richly? By teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thank- thankfulness in your hearts to God. Church, understand, when we sing, it is not just to glorify his name, it is to edify one another. You and I have been given a mutual responsibility within the body of, of Christ. It's, it's really sad to me that this is really what we've reduced church to in, in our culture. We saw this really on full display uh, during COVID last year. So, you know, we, like most, we were doing just kind of this online thing for a while. We're we're live streaming this service right now because we know some are still prevented from gathering with us. But do please understand this whole online podcast culture, this is intended to be a supplement to worship, not a replacement for worship. We have a mutual responsibility as the body of Christ. You have a greater responsibility than just showing up and listening to a sermon every week. We edify one another, not just by singing to the Lord, but singing over one another. This is what builds up the body of Christ. This is what implants the word of God in our hearts. We are called not just to hear a sermon, but to serve one another, to sing over one another, to pray over one another, to serve communion to one another, all of the one another language of the New Testament. That is the calling of the body of Christ. And we can't do this in isolation. And the church, the world more than ever needs to see the church, needs to see the visible gathering of the body of Christ doing what it is that the Lord has called us to do. And this is what sustains us during these dark moments and these dark seasons. I remember uh, it was was 10 years ago, actually this month, uh, we celebrated my last Father's Day that we had with my dad. Uh, he passed away December 2011, later that year, uh, of cancer. He was 50 years old. And, um, and, and so we uh, actually, about this time, 10 years ago, our family was vacationing in Hilton Head. We didn't live in Beaufort at the time. And, and just a really sweet time and sweet memory that we have as a family uh, with his last Father's Day here with us. And I remember when he was first diagnosed with cancer back in early 2008, he would send out these email updates and letters. There were people who were uh, praying for him each step of the way. And early on in his cancer diagnosis, he had to have a major surgery. He had about a foot of his intestine removed, and so he was in the hospital for several weeks, and then he was home bedridden, recovering for several weeks. And listen, my, my dad was the classic. He was, he was a pastor's kid. He was a bivocational minister for a while, but my parents very faithfully served the church, and we were that family. Like, we didn't miss a Sunday. We were there every time the doors were open, and uh, more than that, my dad was a very hard worker. Uh, his, the guy he worked for as, as he was going through all this basically said, I can't remember a, a single time in almost 30 d- years that your dad missed a day of work. And, And this is just the type of personality that he was. He was really active. He liked to work out. And so he would send out these email updates. And this is what he'd say. He'd say, pray for me in this. What I miss the most is not going to work every single day. It's not working out. It's not having the freedom to come and go as I please. What I miss the most is gathering together with the people of God for worship. It was in that moment of suffering that's what was fueling him. It was that reminder, remembering the gathering, remember what it meant to be in the assembly of God's people, singing praises to the Lord, being encouraged by not just what was being sung to the Lord, but by what was being sung over him. And we have a mutual responsibility in this as the body of Christ because I'd be willing to bet in a room this size, somebody in here today barely dragged yourself in the door. And you just didn't have it within you to sing. But you know what the rest of us got to do loudly this morning? Sing to the Lord over you. Encouraging your hearts. You think on this Sunday where I'm remembering the last Father's Day I had with my dad 10 years ago, as we sing that death was arrested, that Christ is our hope in life and death, you think that didn't just encourage me a few moments ago to remember this victory? We have this responsibility over us as, body, as a body of believers. And, and listen, this is why we need to remember the gathering in these moments of suffering because this is the work that the enemy does. It's so terrible. So, so what will happen is we'll fall into patterns of sin we'll, or we'll disconnect from the church for, you know, for busyness or different seasons or whatever it is. We feel guilty that we've not been in the church and then that guilt keeps us from going back. Like it drives us away, and keeps us away. And unfortunately, a lot of the religious culture has taught us you might not be welcome back. Like you'll come through the door and there's gonna be a chorus of people like, where have you been? Nice to see you finally. And listen, understand that might be the religious culture, but it's not our heavenly father. He welcomes us back. By the way, if that ever happens, do you tell me? We'll fire that that welcome team person. That's not okay here. That's not okay here. This is what the enemy does. He wants to drive us away. When you're in the moments of suffering, when you're in the moments of darkness, when you're aching, remember the gathering remember what it was like to hear the praises of God's people. Remember what it was like to be encouraged by the body of Christ. And then friend, with everything that is within you, if you can, drag yourself through the door. Or call a friend and say, I can't get there on my own. I need you to drag me there for me. We need the gathering. We need to remember the gathering. And this will sustain us in our moments of darkness. It goes on here in verse 5. Now, this is where the tone is going to change a little bit. We're going to see this refrain here, and then at the very end again in verse 11. We've seen this a lot over the last couple of weeks in different Psalms. Verse 5, he asked now, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So, in desperate times, remember the gathering, and then, second, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. We have emphasized this point almost every week for the last three or four weeks. In our moments of desperation, in our moments of darkness, in our moments of sin, we have to learn to proclaim the good news to ourselves. So just as Alex showed us a few, showed us a few weeks ago, we once again see the psalmist preaching to the audience of his soul. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. Remember the Lord. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. Again, this isn't just a motivational pep talk that he gives himself, right? He he doesn't recount his circumstances and say, Okay, today I need to wake up, and I need to try harder. I need to do better, and and, and I'm going to look myself in the mirror, and I'm going to give myself a pep talk, and that's going to get him to about 9 a.m., right? We've we've seen this before. And and church, this is so important because, again, you and I live in this extremely me-centered culture. We're, We're living even in a church culture that loves to try and make you the hero of the story. You can do this. You have the resources. You have the talent. You have the personality. You have the gifting. You, 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 you. Here's the bad news and the good news this morning. No you, no we don't. We don't have it within ourselves. We don't have the resources to overcome sin. We don't have the resources just to pull ourselves out of our sin and our brokenness and our circumstances. That's the bad news. But the good news is that Jesus does. And God has offered this to us freely. And we we just need to hear this over and over and over in today's me-centered culture. Understand this. You are not your Enneagram number. Stop hiding behind that nonsense. Good and bad, stop hiding behind these things. You are not a personality assessment. You are who God has said that you are. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, this is the gospel. We are the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. No more this passive nonsense of, well, that's just who I am. Amen. Like, I, I know that I'm domineering and I can kind of run over people. Sorry, I'm an eight. No. Amen. Get over that. Amen. If you are in Jesus Christ, you are a new creation, And everything that we are is fully surrendered and held captive by his will. We have to remember the gospel. We can't allow ourselves just to be beaten down by our circumstances. Well, I'm just a worrier. That's just who I am. I'm overwhelmed. That's just kind of what I do. No, no, no. Forget all of this. Remember the gospel. Why are you downcast, oh, my soul? Put your hope in Christ. Put your hope in God. He will sustain me. He will carry me. He will draw me out of this. I don't have it within myself, but by God's grace, he does and he'll pull me out of this pit. We have to learn to preach the gospel to ourselves. It's looking yourself in the mirror, not saying you can do this. It's looking in the mirror and saying Christ has done this, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can move forward. It's rehearsing the gospel to yourself in scripture form. As we looked at a second ago, 2 Corinthians 5, I am the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ, because God made him, Jesus, to be no sin, who knew no sin, so that I could become his righteousness, It's rehearsing Ephesians chapter 2. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, made me alive in Christ. By grace, I have been saved through faith, and this is not of myself. It is a gift of God. It is not the result of works so that no one can boast. I am his workmanship. I am his masterpiece. I am his craftsmanship. I've been created in him to do good works, which God has prepared in advance for me to do. Preach the gospel to yourself. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God, for he will pick me up. We need this church. Rehearse it over and over. I want to give you uh, just a a resource this morning. I've handed this out on on, uh, different occasions, but uh, write this down. It's called uh, A Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. Great short little book that helps you uh, learn the message of the gospel, both in song form, poetic form, scripture form, so that you can learn to rehearse the gospel Learn to rehearse the good news. Learn to preach it to yourself in those moments when your soul is downcast. I'm going to give you a warning about this book. This is the ultimate, like, don't judge a book by its cover, because this book has the worst cover you've ever seen. Like, if you go Amazon this thing today, you look at it, you'll be like, I'm not spending money on that. Do not judge the book by its cover, because the content is really, really good. Love this brother, but his cover is terrible. He needs to do something different with it. Don't judge the book by the cover. Read the content. Learn to preach the gospel to yourself. This is verses 6 through 11. Here's how he rounds out the passage. He says, My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. Everyone say remember. I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night, his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, all oh my soul? Here's the refrain again. And why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. Everyone say hope in God. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So in desperate times, remember the gathering. Second, remember the gospel. Third, finally this morning, remember your God. Remember him. Remember who he is and what it is that he's done for you, how he is your life, and how he is your salvation. The locations that are mentioned by the psalmist back in verse 6, this is uh, placing him roughly in the region of northern Galilee, so it's far from the place of worship in Jerusalem. He is physically prevented from being in the place that he most wants to be, which is in the gathering and the assembly of God's people. And this language in verse 7 of deep calling to deep, this is language that's both poetic and metaphorical. This is the psalmist crying out from the depths of his soul and from the emptiness of his soul to the depths of God's infinite resources. So from the depths of his soul to the depths of God's infinite resources, that's what he means by deep calling out to deep. And then this is what he goes on to say in verse eight. This is the first wave. He says, by day, the Lord commands his steadfast love. That's the first wave. And the second wave, and at night, his song is with me. So we in verse 7, at the roar of your waterfalls, all your breakers and your waves have gone over me. And so this is the picture that we get this morning. In the morning, it's this wave of his steadfast love. And at night, it's the wave of his song coming over us. And so in the morning, it's his love. In the evening, it's his song. And just day in and day out, it's wave after wave after wave pouring out on his people. And yet, even in the midst of this, the psalmist is able to be honest about what's going on in the depths of his soul. He he feels once again the taunts of his enemies, just in the same way his tears cried out to him, where is your God? His enemies cry out to him, where is your God? And so you just see the raw honesty of the psalmist over and over and over again, crying out, Lord, why have you forgotten me? So you see the tension that exists here. He is both acknowledging the reality of his circumstances— being honest about his circumstances, not in any way, shape, or form mincing what it is that he's going through, and yet holding on to the truth claims of the Word of God, and holding that truth above what he feels. And church, this is so important to us today, because we are living in this cultural moment where you're driven so much by feelings. And listen, I'm not saying this morning to ignore your feelings when you do have feelings. But understand, our feelings when it comes to our spiritual life, they're a very good thermometer, but they're not a good thermostat. And if you allow your feelings to dictate your spiritual life, you're going to have a really miserable time as a follower of Jesus. If we only pray when we feel like it, if we only open the Word of God when we feel like it, when we only gather with God's people when we feel like it, this is going to hold us captive to our circumstances. Now, what makes God look beautiful, what makes Him look glorious What makes him look marvelous and magnificent is when we, from the depths of our soul, in the aching and the longing, cry out to God in desperation and still cling to the truth of the gospel. And we have a God, a Father, who can handle both. He can handle you being honest about your circumstances, and we can be honest about our circumstances without forsaking the truth of who he is. We can hold these in tension, and we know this most clearly, not just through the words of the psalmist. We see this through the ministry of Christ. This is not the last time in language, that we're, in, in Scripture, that we're going to see this language of, why have you forgotten me? Because just a few centuries later, as Jesus hung on the cross, as his enemies taunted him, as they... Cried out to him, save yourself. What was the question that Jesus Christ, the perfect Son of God, cried out to God the Father, Why have you forsaken me? And this is what we get to rest in this morning because Jesus Christ became your sin. Because he went to your cross. Because he went to your grave. Because he took your punishment. Because he was forsaken. You and I get to stand redeemed. We get to live in the confidence that God will never leave us or forsake us. Christ has taken upon himself what you and I deserve. So you and I get to rest in the promise that God will never leave us or forsake us. It's the promise of the Great Commission. Jesus says, I I am with you always to the end of the age. And so, listen, I, I know in a room this size, undoubtedly, this morning, that there is somebody your, your life and your circumstances right now you feel like you have absolutely hit rock bottom but you know what you find when you hit rock bottom you find a rock and that rock is christ Amen. and oftentimes the moments when god feels most silent and he feels most dip- distant and he feels most absent very often those are the times where he is actually most present because that's what we get with jesus Is a high priest who's not disconnected from suffering. He's not disconnected from weakness. He's not disconnected from pain. He has experienced all of this. He knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to be forgotten. He knows what it's like to be forsaken. He knows what it's like to be betrayed. He knows what it's like to be sinned against. He knows what it's like to have enemies calling out to him and asking him, Where's your God now? And that may be the place that you find yourself this morning. And so here's what we're going to do in just a moment, just the same way we did last week, is we're going to pray the framework of this psalm. And I I just want to give you the opportunity. I want to give you permission this morning to lay honestly your circumstances before the Lord. To mince no words. Lord, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm experiencing. This is what I'm going through. This is what I'm struggling with. This is what I'm wrestling with. Here are my doubts, here are my questions, here are my concerns, here are my frustrations, here is my anger. He is a good and loving Father. And he loves to hear the cries of his children, and he invites that today. And then as we do that, we're just going to pray that refrain that we saw again and again. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. We're going to pray these things together. So we just bow your heads with me for just a moment here. So just very open-ended here for just a few moments. I want to give you encouragement and permission to lay that struggle, whatever it is, before the Lord. To lay down your doubts, to lay down your fears, your anger, your frustrations, your concerns. You may be doubting and even questioning your faith. You feel the taunts of this world mocking you because of your faith. Lay that before the Lord this morning. whatever's going on in your family, whatever's going on in your home, with your kids, with your work. Whatever it is this morning, just lay that down at the feet of Jesus. And now we're going to preach the gospel to ourselves and we're going to use the word of God to do it. So I'm going to read uh, one line at a time from this psalm. And then I just want to invite you out loud to repeat that line after me. So again, I'm going to read the line. And then I just want to invite all of us uh, to say that line out loud together. We're going to preach the gospel. We're going to pray the gospel through the word of God here. Why are you cast down? Oh, my soul. And why are you at turmoil within me? Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall again praise him. My salvation and my God. Remember the gathering of God's people. Remember the praises that you lift to the Lord and that we sing over one another. Let that be your fuel in moments of darkness. Remember the gospel. Pray the gospel. Preach the gospel to yourself. Recite the gospel according to the word of God. Remember your God. Listen, the, the Lord just impressed this on my heart, even just right now in this moment. I just, I just want to say this because I feel like it just, it probably applies to more than a few of us in this room on this Father's Day. God is not a deadbeat dad whatever your impression of father is it's negative it's not who he is he loves you he will never harm you he will never abuse you he will never leave you he will never abandon you he will never forsake you remember your God remember who he is